to the Matt Forgot That podcast, the place to recollect and reminisce. I'm your host, Matt Sarosky, filmmaker, film fan. Each episode, I'm going to rewatch and review a movie or TV pilot that I've seen before but don't quite remember. It could be a blockbuster, critic's choice, or cult classic. To join in on the conversation, follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, at Matt Sarosky. You can subscribe to my YouTube page where I'll post videos and clips from the show. If you have any opinions on what I've reviewed, or want to share your own trip down memory lane, use the hashtag MattForgotThat on social. Before we start, as people should have gathered by now, I am a wrestling fan. Sure, I'm not as passionate about it now as I was back in the 80s and 90s, but that was the peak time for wrestling. Whether it was the Golden Age with Hulk Hogan and Macho Man, or the Attitude Era with Stone Cold, The Rock, The Undertaker, and DX. But the 80s had a slight advantage because of one product, the WWF Superstars of Wrestling Ice Cream Bar. This treat continues to be the best thing that I've ever eaten in life. It was only available through your ice cream man, so thank you to Bill for making the rounds. There was a layer of cookie that had imprinted one of the WWF superstars. Hulk Hogan, Macho Man, Elizabeth, Andre the Giant, Bobby Heenan, The Million Dollar Man, George the Animal Steel, and for some reason, Coco Beware. Then there was a heaping dose of vanilla ice cream, finished off with a small layer of chocolate coating. Now, this might be the Mandela effect, but I could have sworn there was also another layer of cookie on the bottom. But when I was doing research, I can't find one picture of that. But this thing tasted amazing. It also came with a collectible trading card, none of which I've kept. Now, a couple of years ago, the WWE and Good Humor tried to bring them back, but it just looked like a standard ice cream sandwich. Gone was the thin layer of chocolate. It no longer had a popsicle stick. And I'm sorry, I just can't get excited for an image of Dolph Ziggler on the cookie. Not exactly on the same level as the 80s superstars. But speaking of, it does seem like in the 80s, there was a lot of custom food based on movies and television series, like Mr. T Cereal, Ghostbusters High C Ecto Cooler. So what were some of your favorites in the 80s? Hit me up on social media with the hashtag MattForgotThat. On to the main attraction. Each review will end with a ranking out of five stars. One star is Skip It, two stars Watch at Your Own Risk, three stars Standard Fair, four stars Worth Checking Out, and five stars Must See. Now if I give a title five stars, it doesn't mean I'm comparing it to Casablanca, Jaws, or Seinfeld. I rank titles based on other movies or TV series in that genre and at that time period. In this episode of the podcast, I'm rewatching and reviewing City Slickers from 1991. It was directed by Ron Underwood, who helmed the cult horror film Tremors, rom-com Speechless, The Family Adventure, Mighty Joe Young, and most recently, five episodes of Fear the Walking Dead. 
The screenplay was co-written by Lowell Gantz and Babalu Mandel, who scribed Night Shift, Spies Like Us, Vibes, Parenthood, A League of Their Own, and were nominated for Best Writing, screenplay written directly for the screen for Splash. It stars Billy Crystal as Mitch Robbins, born in Manhattan, briefly raised in the Bronx, before moving to Long Beach, Long Island. After graduating from high school, he attended Marshall University in West Virginia on a baseball scholarship before transferring to New York University, where he studied film and television. One of his instructors was Martin Scorsese. He also studied acting at HB Studio in Greenwich Village. He started performing stand-up at the Improv and was cast in an episode of All in the Family. His star rose after doing impressions of Muhammad Ali and Howard Cosell on the Dean Martin Celebrity Roasts. He also made the rounds on the game show circuit, appearing on Hollywood Squares and the $20,000 Pyramid. His biggest role to date was as Jody Dallas on Soap for 75 episodes from 1977 to 1981. He would move to the big screen in the Rob Reiner-directed This Is Spinal Tap and reunite with the director three years later in The Princess Bride. He would go on to star in Throw Mama From The Train, When Harry Met Sally, Mr. Saturday Night, and Forget Paris. But I think he's most fondly remembered as the nine-time host of the Academy Awards. This is what I remember. I'm gonna admit that I've completely mistaken this movie with Three Amigos. Everything I was gonna include here was from that film. The stupid dance where they thrust their hips. It was made in the 80s. I'm completely off. Now once I figured out that mix-up, obviously I remembered the cast. Billy Crystal, of course, Jack Palance portrays the eccentric Curly, Daniel Stern played loveless Phil Burquist, and Bruno Kirby performed Playboy Ed Ferrillo. Now I'm heading off to watch the movie. This is what I forgot. This was Jake Gyllenhaal's feature film debut as Billy Crystal's son. Danielle Harris from Halloween 4 and 5 and Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead has a brief role as his classmate. Yeardley Smith, the voice of Lisa Simpson, plays Nancy. Phil Lewis from The Sweet Life of Zack and Cody has a role as Steve Jessup. And Jeffrey Tambor is Mitch's boss, Lou. Now, there is a stampede where Mitch holds onto a tree for dear life. That scene has appeared in many movie montages. And yet... I still didn't remember it until I saw it. Then it all came flooding back. So let's jump into it. The movie starts off in Pamplona, Spain, at the running of the bulls. Friends Mitch Robbins, Phil Burquist, and Ed Ferrillo participate in the festivities, doing their best to avoid the charging beasts, and it ends with a horn in Mitch's end. He realizes these trips are a desperate attempt to recapture their youth, and is getting tired of the excursions. A year later, on his 39th birthday, Mitch goes to his son's career day where he has to explain to a bunch of elementary schoolers that he works in advertising at WBLM Radio, and comes to the realization that he's reached a crossroads in life. That night at his party, Phil and Ed present Mitch with their present, a two-week trip to New Mexico, where they'll participate in an old-fashioned cattle drive from there to Colorado. Even though he already has plans to visit his wife's parents in Florida, Barbara encourages him to go and find his smile. Here's a quote without context. I crap bigger than you. City Slickers took a while to get going. It was almost 25 minutes in before the friends reached the ranch. The characters were fairly well established, 
it was clear Mitch was going through a midlife crisis. So there's only so long you can wallow in that before you want to get to the meat and potatoes of the story. The entrance of Curly is memorable and makes an immediate impact. The movie shifts into the next gear with his arrival. The pace picks up. It gets even sharper. It's not the funniest film I've watched, and in comparison with other late 80s, early 90s comedies, it's a bit tame. In the Gantz-Mandel collaboration, it's probably behind A League of Their Own and Splash and Humor. Now for a little trivial trivia. Billy Crystal was so fond of the horse he rode, named Beechnut, that he bought him. He also appeared in its sequel, City Slickers 2, The Legend of Curly's Gold. City Slickers was produced by Irby Smith, known for Young Guns, Major League, Rookie of the Year, Angels in the Outfield, and Wild America. It was shot on location at the Ghost Ranch in Abiquiu, New Mexico, Nambi Pueblo in Nambe, New Mexico, and Durango, Colorado. The cinematography was captured by Dean Semler, whose filmography includes Mad Max, Beyond the Thunderdome, Cocktail, Young Guns, Last Action Hero, Triple X, and Bruce Almighty. He won an Oscar for Best Cinematography for Dances with Wolves. It was edited by O. Nicholas Brown, who worked on Mischief, Rambo 3, Tremors, Free Willy, and 10 Things I Hate About You. The score was composed by Mark Shaman, who wrote the music for Misery, The Addams Family, Sister Act, and Mr. Saturday Night. He's been nominated for seven Oscars, including Best Music, Original Song for Sleepless in Seattle, South Park, Bigger, Longer, and Uncut, and Mary Poppins Returns. Best Music, Original Musical or Comedy Score for The American President, The First Wives Club and Patch Adams, and Best Achievement in Music Written for Motion Pictures, Original Song for Mary Poppins Returns. The runtime is 1 hour 54 minutes. It had a budget of $26 million and grossed $180 million at the box office. It won an Oscar at the 1992 Academy Awards for Best Actor in a Supporting Role for Jack Palance. His acceptance speech has gone down as one of the most memorable in Oscar history when the actor did one-arm push-ups on stage. A sequel was released in 1994 entitled City Slickers, The Legend of Curly's Gold with Billy Crystal, Jack Palance, and Daniel Stern reprising their roles. Bruno Kirby was allergic to horses and turned down a part in the sequel. John Lovitz joined the cast in his place. I give it 3 out of 5 stars. Based on Jack Palance's performance, I might consider boosting it up a little, but I wished it was better. It's not the worst way to spend your time, but it wouldn't be my first in Billy Crystal's filmography. If you've seen City Slickers and have opinions on the movie, let me know what you think using the hashtag MattForgotThat. Each episode, I'm going to post throwback clips that I think people should watch. It could be movie trailers, music videos, interviews, or something completely random. Search for my YouTube page and there'll be a playlist called Matt Forgot That Playback. Bo Jackson is considered one of the best two-sport athletes, competing in Major League Baseball from 1986 to 1994, on the Kansas City Royals, Chicago White Sox, and California Angels, and the National Football League from 1987 to 1990 on the Los Angeles Raiders. He was initially drafted by the New York Yankees out of high school, but he decided to attend Auburn University on a football scholarship. While in college, he racked up 4,303 yards as running back and won the Heisman Trophy in 1985. The next year, he was selected as the first overall pick in the NFL draft by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, but chose to play for the Kansas City Royals, who were coming off a World Series win. He spent most of the season in the minor leagues with a cup of coffee in the big time. 
1987, he was drafted by the Los Angeles Raiders, whose owner, Al Davis, was open to having Jackson play both sports, despite the potential injury risk and wear and tear. His breakthrough season in baseball was in 1989, where he was voted to the American League All-Star team and named MVP for the game. The next season, he rushed for 698 yards and selected to the NFL Pro Bowl. Around this time, Nike released an advertising campaign for cross-training shoes, which featured Bo Jackson with the tagline, Bo Knows. The concept had the two-sport athlete attempting other activities like golf, tennis, hockey, guitar playing, ending with Bono's baseball, Bono's football, Bono's luge. In 1991, a hip injury would force him to retire from football and prevent him from playing in the 1992 MLB season. He would play for two more years before deciding to retire during the 1994-95 baseball strike. Bo Jackson's career was short-lived, but he certainly made an impact on pop culture. He's the only professional athlete to be named an All-Star in two major league sports. He was inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame in 1999. I've selected a couple of clips that show off his immense talent, including leading off the MLB All-Star game with a home run, impressing then-president Ronald Reagan, and throwing out a base runner at third with a guided missile from right field, as well as the Bonos commercials. They're all available in the Matt Forgot That playback playlist on YouTube. Check it out. Now it's time for the recommendation. Yes, that's the word recommendation with Matt in the middle. I'm going to end each podcast with my own recommendation of a nostalgic movie or TV series. Today I'm talking about Adventures in Babysitting. It was the feature directorial debut of Christopher Columbus, who had written Gremlins and the Goonies in 1984 and 1985, respectively, and would go on to helm Home Alone, Mrs. Doubtfire, Nine Months, Stepmom, and the first two Harry Potter films. It tells a story of 17-year-old Chris Parker, who takes up a last-minute babysitting gig after her boyfriend cancels their date. While looking after 8-year-old Sarah Anderson, she receives a call from her best friend Brenda, who ran away from home and is stranded at a bus station. Chris plans to go downtown alone, but Sarah, her older brother Brad, and his best friend Daryl convince her to take them along for the ride. On their way, the station wagon gets a flat tire, and Chris must figure out how to get to her friend and get the kids back to the house before their parents return. It stars Elizabeth Shue, Maya Bruton, Anthony Rapp, and my bestest pal, Keith Coogan. He would go on to star in another babysitting movie, Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead. It also features Vincent D'Onofrio, Penelope Ann Miller, and Bradley Whitford, who plays Chris's boyfriend whose car has the license plate, So Cool. This is a really fun movie. It's got John Hughes vibes, though it was written by David Simpkins, who produced episodes of The Adventures of Briscoe County Jr., Charmed, Dark Angel, and Warehouse 13. It was produced by Deborah Hill, who's known for Halloween 1 through 3, The Fog, Escape from New York, The Dead Zone, Clue, Big Top Peewee, and The Fisher King. I like the soundtrack, too. It starts off with Elizabeth Shue lip-syncing The Crystal's hit, Then He Kissed Me, you got The Stones in there, Percy Sledge, Muddy Waters, Sam Cooke. The score was composed by legend Michael Kamen. There was a DCOM television movie remake, which premiered in 2016, starring Sabrina Carpenter and Sophia Carson. But it was all Disney-fied, and didn't have the heart and humor of the original. Adventures in Babysitting is one of those fantastical movies with mishaps that could only happen in the 80s. 
It also features an appearance by Thor, decades before Marvel would become a Disney property. I highly recommend. That's all for this edition of Matt Forgot That. Thanks for listening to me reminisce. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, at Matt Sarosky. You can subscribe to my YouTube page where I'll post videos and clips from the show. If you have any opinions on what I've reviewed, or want to share your own trip down memory lane, use the hashtag MattForgotThat on social. Head over to MattSaroski.com for the latest news and updates, and come back next time for the rewatch and the review. It was shot on location at the Ghost Ranch in Abiquí, New Mexico. Let me not pause on that. It was shot on location at the Ghost Ranch in Abiquí, New Mexico. Namby Pamp. <laughs> Nambi Pambi, New Mexico. Oh. It's got John Hughes vibes, though it was written by David Simpkins, who produced episodes of the adventures of the Briscoe County of the...